Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. What do the Apostle Paul, the first century Christian missionary and author, what do Paul and the rapper Eminem have in common? These are deep theological questions, right? Like I, I'm sure that many of you have stayed up at night losing sleep over questions like this. Well, to begin to answer that question, I have to... Uh, I have to begin here. So um, many of you might know Eminem uh, plays in a movie called Eight Mile. And uh, it is very loosely based on Eminem's life, very loosely based. Uh, And I I do need to say that uh, at times it's a pretty rough movie, and uh, I would not recommend it uh, for all audiences. Nonetheless, it is a fascinating and compelling movie just for its look into poverty and hip-hop culture. Well, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending. Sorry. Um, So at the climax of this movie, Eminem's character, whose name is Jimmy, is in a rap competition. And and he's, he's in the championship round of this rap competition with a rival of his. And... Uh, in, this, in this round, both competitors uh, have 90 seconds to perform a freestyle rap, and Jimmy gets to go first. Well, because uh, Jimmy is aware that his competitor knows a lot of embarrassing information about him, Jimmy decides to beat him to the punch. So for the majority of Jimmy's rap, he reveals all of the embarrassing information about himself that he expects that his competitor is going to use. Such as the fact that Jimmy, as an adult, lives with his mom in a trailer. Such as the fact that Jimmy was beaten up by this competitor's gang. And to add insult to injury, also that Jimmy's love interest cheated on him with this same guy. So, Jimmy uses all of this embarrassing information in his rap. And by doing so, he takes all the material that his competitor was going to use. And so when this guy's turn comes, he's speechless. He has nothing to say. He forfeits the competition, and Jimmy wins. If you had told me uh, when I was 18 years old that I would use Eminem as a sermon illustration, I would have told you you're crazy. Yet here we are. I promise uh, I will come back to Eminem and Paul here shortly. Uh, But first, I just want to say once again, uh, welcome. If you are a guest uh, who are with us this morning, um, I'm so glad that you are with us. Thank you for trusting us with your Sunday morning. Uh, My name is Michael Waldrop. I am the student minister here at the Round Rock Church of Christ. 
And uh, today I'm, I'm filling in for our interim preaching minister, uh, Tim Curtis. Tim has been going through a series on the Old Testament book, Jeremiah, and uh, Tim will pick that up again next week. Now, last week, our discipleship minister, Matt Delano, uh, preached about how being wrong can sometimes be a gift. Well, actually, this morning, I want to preach about how being weak can sometimes be a gift. But before we dive into that, uh, if you would, pray with me. Triune God, would you give all of us attention to hear clearly what you are saying to us? Would you give us humility to admit that there are areas in which we need to grow? And would you give us courage to be transformed in the way you desire to transform us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all honor and all glory is yours, now and forever. Amen. So once again, what do Paul and Eminem have in common? Well, to finish off an answer to that question, I told you about Eminem, but I now need to tell you about Paul. And specifically, I need to tell you about a letter that Paul wrote that we now call 2 Corinthians. This was a letter that Paul wrote, uh, as you might imagine, to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth is a city that is in Greece. It's about 50 miles west of Athens. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, that is where we are going to pick up this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament, which is in the second part of the Bible, um, and it comes after the books of Acts, Romans, and unsurprisingly, 1 Corinthians. Now throughout this letter, throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul has been defending his ministry and his missionary work against this group of Christian teachers that, that Paul sarcastically labels the super apostles. I love that Paul uses sarcasm. Um, so that there's this group of Christian teachers uh, that have come into Corinth, and they've been very critical of Paul. And uh, for the most part, as Paul is defending himself in this letter, he's refrained from, from boasting in any way. But then when we get to the beginning of chapter 11, Paul begins to list reasons that, you know, he could boast. I mean, he's not going to boast, but like, if he was going to boast, here are some reasons why. And in the middle of listing those reasons, though, he, he starts to flip the script. While most of us, when we, when we think of boasting and when we do boast, we boast about our successes, right? We, we boast about the things that make us appear strong. But Paul, instead, begins to boast about hardships, like being beaten or being shipwrecked or being stoned. These are all situations in which he doesn't appear strong. The point here is not for him to say, oh, look, look how tough I am. No, the point is for him to say, look at all these situations in which, like, literally, physically, I was weakened. In other words, like 
Eminem's character in the rap competition, Paul boasts about his weaknesses. And by doing so, he, he undercuts the arguments and the expectations of his opponents. In chapter 11, verse 30, he says it this way. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In the verses that, that come after this verse, Paul talks about this time where he is lowered out of a window in a basket to escape arrest. I mean, like, what an image of, of dependence and weakness. I mean, can you see Paul, like, huddled in his little basket, like, being lowered out the window? I mean, it's almost like a, like a childish image. It makes him look silly. It, it makes him look weak. But that's the point. That's the point. That's what his boasting consists of. Weakness. He continues, and if you're following along in your Bible, go ahead and skip down to verse 5 of chapter 12. And there's first verses of, of uh, chapter 12. He refers to someone he knows, actually probably himself, uh, who experiences a dramatic vision of heaven. Uh, and then in verse 5, he says this. I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of the, these surpassingly great revelations, which is, which is probably a reference to that um, dramatic vision of heaven I, I just mentioned. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why, why Paul? Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. I love that phrase. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul suggests at least two things to the Corinthians in this passage. First, in the words of a second Corinthian scholar, my boasting in his weakness, Paul offers the Corinthians an alternative to the opponents that harass him. The alternative is strength based on weakness, a theme no doubt foreign to Paul's opponents. So first, Paul suggests to the Corinthians this idea of, of strength based on weakness. But then second, Paul suggests that one can be content, in fact, can even delight in weakness and trial because God's grace is sufficient for us. And Paul can suggest this because he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to appeal to God for a weakness to be taken away and for God to say, no. No, my grace is sufficient for you. 
But I want us to shift perspectives at this point. We've kind of been looking at all of this through Paul's eyes. But I, I want us to imagine what it would be like to be in the church at Corinth. Right? Like, Paul is a, is a founding father of your church. Like, he, he helped start your church. Right? And you know that. But like, let's be honest. It's getting a little old. Paul's a little eccentric. Right? And then these new guys show up who are confident, and they're well-dressed, they're well-spoken, and you are impressed with them, and they are not impressed with Paul. And then Paul writes this letter and defends himself against these folks, and his response to these, new, to these guys is, my power is made perfect in weakness? And, oh, when I am weak, then I am strong. I, I can't help but wonder like, if the Corinthians like, heard this as a cop-out. It, it, it'd almost be like if somebody came up to us and said, oh, no, 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 really, like, I'm a better basketball player because I miss all of my free throws. Right? Like, these are weird words. Like, these, are, these are perplexing words. And to hear them from the perspective of the Corinthians, I think it's important to, to zero in on the Corinthian culture. Because first century Corinth, was a center of, of wealth and image and power. In fact, some scholars think that Corinth was the wealthiest city in Greece at this time. And so I have to imagine that so much of the hustle and bustle of life in first century Corinth was about gaining and keeping power through strength. I mean, so, so many of the business transactions, so many of the events and the conversations and the relationships, the highs and lows of life were wrapped up and dictated by the pursuit of power through strength. I don't think that it is a stretch to say that Corinth bears a resemblance to the Austin area in which many of us live. Austin is a center of wealth and image and power. And that only increases with each passing day, right? I mean, there's a reason that Elon Musk predicted that Austin would be the biggest boomtown America has seen in the last 50 years. I say this just to say that we are familiar with a city, with a community, that busies itself with pursuing power through strength. And yet, into the middle of first century Corinth and into the middle of 21st century Austin, Paul invites his readers to swim upstream of their culture and instead to pursue power through weakness. Now, when I consider the way this city and, and really our wider culture, mo most of our wider culture operates. And when I try and synthesize that operation, that mindset, that lifestyle with my power is made perfect in weakness, like they, they do not compute. Like it's like, I don't know if you've ever tried to divide something by zero on a calculator and your calculator just kind of like spazzes out. Like, that, that's what I see is going on here. Like that, that idea is so foreign to our culture and to our world. 
And I don't know about you, but for me, these, these words, this idea almost provokes, it provokes a tension in me, a confusion, almost even a doubt. And that's because this power made perfect through weakness idea doesn't seem to fit with much of our experience of the world. Power is made perfect through weakness. Paul, what are you talking about? History doesn't seem to tell us that. Sports don't tell us that. Romantic relationships don't tell us that. Business doesn't tell us that. The animal kingdom doesn't tell us that. And sadly, oftentimes our churches don't even seem to tell us that. It's hard not to look out at our world and wonder. Is every realm of life not just one survival of the fittest contest after another? Is Professor Quirrell from the Harry Potter books right? Is there no such thing as good and evil, but only power and those too weak to seek it? If you still don't feel that tension, that, that confusion that these words can bring on us, then let's make it a little bit more personal. Let's shift the focus from looking at the world out there to, to looking at ourselves. And I think one helpful way to do that is just to ask this question. What are your weaknesses? What are your weaknesses? What is the nagging thorn in your flesh, the, the rock that is stuck in your sandal, the piece of food that you cannot get out of your teeth, that thing that frustrates you and nags at you, but it just will not go away. You know, the thing that you find yourself dwelling on, your mind clouded by, your stomach knotted by, wishing that it would be different, but knowing that it most likely never will be. Maybe it's your grades or your health or your appearance, or your job performance. Maybe it's an addiction, or your anger, or your family life. Do you, do you feel the, the emotion, the, the insecurity, the, the weight that these weaknesses press upon us? And then amongst all of that weight, Paul says, oh, when you are weak, then you are strong. And I, I struggle not to think, really, Paul? That doesn't make any sense. So what do we do? What do we do with this tension, this confusion, this even doubt that can be brought up in us by Paul's paradoxical language? I believe we look to the equally paradoxical and beautiful idea of a weak God. Said, said better, we look to the idea of a God who is willing to be weak. Not long after the verses that we read in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, uh, in the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 4, Paul writes this. 
Christ was crucified in weakness. Yet he lives by God's power. Christ was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Oh yeah, that's right. Even Jesus, the God-man, knew what it was like to be weak. Can you see the, the paradox of this? The King of kings and the Lord of lords being beaten. Can you see the one that fuels all existence stooping to carry a heavy cross or to wash feet? Can you see the Alpha and the Omega sweating blood out of anxiety the night before his suffering and death? Can you see the creator of turquoise and electrons and laughter spending time with social rejects and touching the untouchables? Can you see the resurrection and the life crying as an infant born to a teenage mother from some insignificant town? I see a God who is willing to be weak. I see a God who is willing to be weak. And has not that willingness to operate in weakness been pretty effective at making God's power known? There is no human, there is no story, there is no power that has been more influential on this earth than Jesus of Nazareth. And I will add, there, there is no human, there is no story, there is no power that has been more effective at empowering that which is good and true and beautiful in our world. And all of that starts with, it flows out of Jesus' willingness to be weak. So if you hear nothing else this morning, I hope that you hear this. Because God was willing to embrace weakness for us, we can trust that God's grace is sufficient for our weakness. Because God was willing to embrace weakness for us, we can trust that God's grace is sufficient for our weakness. I believe that is true. And yet, we know, Paul knew, God knows, that nonetheless, trying to live this power through weakness life is really difficult. It's not easy. Again, it is a swimming against the current of the majority of our culture. Half the time, it's swimming against the culture of the majority of our churches. And, and that, so that, that is why the, the atmosphere, the the culture of the groups in which we spend our time, and not just that, but our behavior within those groups is so important. Because we can help each other in this, but we can also hurt each other in this. And so for that reason, I think these questions are helpful and important. How do I contribute 
to a culture, to an, to an atmosphere, to an attitude in the groups that I'm in that discourages people from sharing weakness? How does, how does what I say, how does what I joke about, how does my body language, how does who I talk to and who I don't talk to communicate, don't share your weakness. Always appear strong. Look impressive. Don't slip up. Do I end up doing the opposite and encourage people to hide their weaknesses? Or similarly, do, do I value, do I, excuse me, do I give more value to people who are, at least they appear strong? People who are wealthy or powerful or physically attractive or funny or socially adept or well-educated? Do I, do I always defer to giving them more value, showing them more value? Or can I see the potential for the power of God to thrive in those that our society labels as weak? We have the ability, we have the potential to give each other permission to be weak, to share weakness. We can give one another an, an alternate narrative from the one that our culture so often puts forward. We can help each other remember that we need not run from our weaknesses. So, in short, let us be weak together. I am convinced that God's power is most on display through our weakness. And I am convinced that God gives us sufficient grace that we may not just be content in, but somehow delight in weakness and trial in our lives. And I don't think these are just like some nice Christianese like platitudes. Right? Like, I think this works in the real world, right? That we're not just playing religious games when we say my power is made perfect in weakness. No, I believe that this is trustworthy. And so when we find ourselves crying out to God because some, of some thorn in our flesh, may we trust the God who is willing to be weak. May we trust the God who is willing to be weak. And that God says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. Lord, my, my dad's cancer treatments are not working. And he's getting thinner every single day. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, I am tired of being single. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, I'm tired of being married. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, I want to live somewhere else. Lord, my body doesn't look like I want it to look. Lord, I don't have the right skills and I feel like an imposter in this job. Lord, I do not know where my life is going. My grace is sufficient for you. 
This has been the divine refrain throughout time and throughout Scripture. And it has proven to be trustworthy. Can you hear Sarah when she prays, Lord, I am too old to bear a child to Abraham. Can you hear Moses stuttering to God? Lord, Lord, I I, I do not speak well. How how can I go before, before Pharaoh? My grace is sufficient for you. Can you hear Jeremiah? Lord, I am just a boy. I cannot be a prophet to the nations. My grace is sufficient for you. Can you hear Mary? Lord, I am not married. And if I get pregnant out of wedlock, do you not know how they will look at me? My grace is sufficient for you. And can you hear Jesus? The God-man willing to be weak, praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? My grace is sufficient for you, my son. God's grace is sufficient for us. Amen.